is Hazel Millisham and this is the Light on Leeds podcast where I spread a light all around Leeds looking for people doing amazing things of which there are so very many. On this episode I have Josh Lawson who comes along to tell me about Leeds Coppice Workers. Leeds Coppice Workers is a cooperative it's committed to restoring and managing neglected and underused woodlands in the Leeds area so they create jobs in Leeds woodlands for members, they promote the use of locally sourced woodland products um, they want to reintegrate local people to the woodlands and show them how woodland can be managed in a sustainable and ecologically sound way. They train people, they share skills in woodland-related activities. Josh was a great guest. It's very interesting and I think you're going to enjoy it. On this episode of the Light on Leeds podcast, I have Josh Lawson come to speak to me from Leeds Coppice Workers. Hello, Josh. Hi, how's it going? Uh, very well, thank you. How's it going with you? Yeah, very well. The sun is out. It feels like summer. Very it, good. It, it is. It's feeling summery, isn't it? That's just unusual for England. Um, Josh, can you tell me a little bit about Leeds Coppice Workers? First of all, what is coppicing? Yeah, so uh, coppicing is uh, kind of in its purest definition. To coppice something is to cut particular species of tree pretty much at ground level. And in the process of doing that, you encourage the tree to regenerate. So by cutting it back to the bottom, um, lots of new shoots, new poles will appear from the tree as it attempts to kind of regenerate and regrow. So coppicing on its most um, pure thing is, is working like that. Um, people might be familiar with the term pollarding, which is the same thing, but you do it at height. So maybe two meters off the ground. And that's something that's very common for trees in a city because it encourages the um, regrowth of the tree to grow more um, vertical. So it's quite good if you're trying to um, close a canopy. But um, coppice uh, management, so the kind of work that we do is taking that principle about regenerating trees, being able to cut them back and then regrow with these new shoots and poles and using that as a form of um, sustainable woodland management. So we'll go into an area, um, cut back um, the species that we're trying to encourage. So predominantly we work with hazel, but there are lots of species that you can coppice. Um, depending on the region that you're in, there might be advantages to choosing a certain species over another. But um, we're hazel people around here. And um, yeah, as you cut it, you then try and protect it from deer. But basically, seven years after you cut a stool or eight years after you cut it, it's ready with these poles that have grown in there to produce a load of really useful roundwood um, uh, products. So um, we sell direct to um, organizations and individuals across Leeds with things that you can use to make fence panels, things that you would use for growing things up in your garden. Um, we do a lot of hedge laying as work as well. So you need, these are the kind of products you need when you lay hedges. So that's, you know, um, the kind of hedge you would have in the boundary of a field when that grows um, to a certain age, it's typical that you, you, um, you need to lay the hedge, which is basically to kind of cut it without killing the trees there. So it will regenerate. So it's just this like ongoing maintenance that you need to do. So yeah, we're involved in, uh, sustainable woodland practice around Leeds and producing local natural um, uh, wood products and yeah and a variety of other things we can get into more. And um, so coppice, coppice in itself must be a really old um, 
traditional way of, of working with wood, is it? Yeah, so um, coppicing is, is super ancient. There's evidence in the UK that coppicing was being practised like 5,000 years ago, beyond that, um, simply because it's like with particular types of tree. If you if you go out and observe um, a hazel tree that hasn't been cut or managed, you'll see that it can end up quite, quite big, quite bendy, um, not necessarily the kind of... Um, timber that you'll get from that that's um usable for something else directly whereas when you um coppice and manage things it provides quite a direct way to get access to to product that you don't don't need to work on anymore you can just kind of use it um of course there is some work to do but um yeah it's been in use for thousands of years and um up until the point where um coal more kind of calorifically rich energy became available to us um managing woodlands in this way was pretty much where a lot of the fuel that we used came from, particularly yeah. for urban areas. Like if you're thinking all those people that live there, if you're not burning coal, then you're burning wood or charcoal. So um, in coppicing a tree, um, you essentially are opening up the canopy of an area because you're cutting back all of that older mature growth with all the leaf coverage and things like that. So by opening up that canopy for the things that regrow, there's a lot of light available, but you're essentially able to produce more biomass. So managing a woodland um, through coppicing you're regenerating the trees that are there and also essentially allowing those trees to younger trees grow more quickly than big old trees. So coppicing is also a way to kind of increase the um, density of yield if you want to be uh, brutal about it. But um, essentially, yeah, you can get a lot more from working it in that way and the kind of products you're getting out of it are more directly useful for things. But uh, up until the first half of the 20th century, there was still quite a strong coppice culture throughout the UK, but that's diminished quite significantly. So um, and is that skills not getting passed down to people? What 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 is that about? Well, is that about it's the um, yeah the the loss of demand for those as products. Like a lot of that stuff is being supplanted by cheaper imported materials. So um, bamboo would be an example for that. A lot of traditional craft things have um, slowed down or become less valued. So a lot of um, incidental usage of the products that would you know for local craftsmen like yeah things like hedge laying and other things like that also becoming a diminishing craft um yeah some parts of the uk have retained a much stronger culture in it so in the southwest um there is still continuous coppice that's been going on and it's a very high grade of thing that they're working and um you know people were like paid to have access to a place because it's such a good product there that you know but you can still essentially pay rent to access it and make it profitable um the situation in leeds and yorkshire is very different so the woodlands that we manage um across the city uh, and the sort of wider Leeds region um, have previously will have been managed. So it's generally an indicator for older woodland. If there is a woodland that is old, it's generally a sign that it's been worked and that's why it's still here. Right. Um, that's why, you know, it isn't a field or a plantation or something. It's because it's been productive woodland. Might be because it's on very marginal ground, so it's not really good for anything else. But um, we're basically going back into places that haven't been worked for some generations now because there's been that loss of um skill and also that um engagement and just as a um i guess as a uh, within the public consciousness like we don't work the woods like we used to certainly like woods have amenity value or woods are like a plantation and yeah like, um, so yeah a lot of the work we do is actually like restorative work is re-establishing rotations of coppice that may have been there before but are no longer there and sort of rebuilding that up so it does take quite a long time to get things back up into a, a really healthy rotation in terms of when you do the first, you need to do multiple cuts to get the grade of it back up and, and things that are a bit more technical. But 
yeah, we're going through that phase now of kind of doing a lot of the hard work of um, establishing systems that once they're in place, like a coppice rotation um, can last over, depends how long you are trying to grow the things for, but once it's going, it pretty much will go on forever. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the sustainability of management, you end up with, um, it's a managed ecosystem, it's a managed woodland, but it's a woodland that has a lot of um, biodiversity and is providing productive yield for things. Like we produce a lot of um, firewood and charcoal and other products out of the woods as well. So, um, you know, if you're looking for, you know, to lower your impact in terms of um, the resources you use in your daily life, we need to think about more how we utilize the natural resources around of it, that are around us in a sustainable way. And um, coppicing is the way to um, productively and sustainably manage a woodland so that we can utilize the resources that are there so we're not having to utilize resources that are unsustainable or come from very far away. Yeah, of course, yeah. And how do you identify these woods? Do people come to you or do you search them out? How does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, in the typical fashion of the UK, uh, access to land is a, a complicated issue. So um, who has woodland tends to be, uh, who we work with is either the council or small um, third sector organisations. So like uh, the Yorkshire Wildlife Trust organisations like this that are sort of doing uh, woodland management. Like we offer that specialisation in coppicing that we can that we can bring into that. So yeah, the, the sites that we work, um, we work them on a basis of essentially an exchange for the product that we remove from it. So we're able yeah. to also offer very beneficial service to landowners with woodlands to put in a sustainable management plan and kind of be the you know actor in getting that established and doing that work for it um but uh we would dream maybe one day of having access to our own woods or something like that but the you know that would be quite expensive and definitely more of a dream yeah well you never know you've got to dream haven't you josh and how did you get involved in the first place? Have you been involved in Leeds Coppice Workers from the beginning? Uh, no, I've not been from the beginning. I've been there um, maybe two or three years now. Um, COVID is a, a bit of a time warp. It was set up by a couple of uh, yeah, people that were invested in bringing back um, active coppice management to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe ooh, seven, eight years ago now. Um, and yeah, I'm a newer member. There are seven of us there in total. We all work part time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all have other things that we do in our lives. Generally, like uh, there are tree surgeons and forest school teachers and builders. And yeah, a mix of the other things that make up our lives. My um, involvement into coppice things was just wanted to be more involved in practical outdoor work, um, particularly woodland work, working with wood. Um and yeah it's difficult as an industry if you want to get into forestry so when i did my chainsaw license um you know speaking to people that were maybe on a slightly different track and they're working in plantations and the big machines that are all required with this as well as all the chainsawing that was something that didn't resonate with me in terms of it's the relationship to the land and the work you're doing and also what can be kind of the uh, work culture in that kind of environment so um my uh, attraction to the coppice workers was, um, yeah, the sustainability of the practice that we do and also kind of the nature of the work. We do a lot of trying to engage with local communities and bringing people into the woods, um, thinking about, yeah, how to connect people, reintegrate people with their local woodlands and show them how they can be managed. Um, and kind of that really appeals to me as sort of um, demonstrating the alternatives um, 
yeah, by being out there and doing it and, and being proactive and showing that to other people. So um, it resonates with me in terms of the type of work I like to do, but also the ethics of how we work. So Leeds Coppice Workers is a workers co-op. So we all collectively manage the business as well, which adds lots of complications and challenges to things, but also gives us all a great sense of um, investment and autonomy and um, yeah, into what we're doing and how we're doing it and all this kind of thing. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it resonates on a couple of levels with me. It's it's very nice stuff. Oh, brilliant! And so obviously, it is really important to educate people because you can. I think I mean you know I'm, I'm sure you're not, but but a lot of people, including myself, you can become sort of divorced from things like that, can't you? And you you know when you go and visit a wood because I'm really lucky I live near Middleton Woods, which is just beautiful. Um, but you kind of forget what woods were kind of there for and the purpose, not so much in middle woods because there's lots of information about, um, you know, using it for um, coal mines and things like that. Um, but so a lot of your work is sort of outreach. So do you deal with kind of schools and voluntary groups and things like that? Um, so we run, uh, last season we were running quite often, but we do at least one volunteer day a month where people come join us in the wood and, it, and it's very much a, this, you know, we're getting on with the work of the woodlands. It's a very practical yeah. Um, engagement with things um, the work that we do with other organizations it, it tends to be like we're open to collaboration and it, and it tends to be where that comes from with things so we do quite a lot of outreach thing we ran a woodland gala this year at the Meanwood Valley Urban Farm and another place so that was just showcasing the products we make and what you can make with them and, and getting people involved so yeah we do a mix of those kind of things but once the season starts so sort of September October onward um, we're very much just in the woods um yeah. getting on with it yeah yeah i can imagine and so can you tell me a little bit about some of the courses that you run yes uh we actually have uh, i'm teaching a course uh, this weekend which will be an introduction to green woodworking so that will be things like making um spatulas and mallets and stools and things like this so that's more of the kind of um on the crafty side of things we also do courses on um things like making charcoal um for people that are interested in yeah, seeing what that process is like all the way through. Um, we've got uh, tool handling and restoration, uh, willow basket weaving, introductions to hedge laying, introductions to coppice management. So kind of a range of the yeah woodland activities that, that come along with these things. So it's a whole mix of stuff. And we tend to run those through the summer. Some of them are slightly more through the year. And we typically run... Um, we run one of each version, of course, but occasionally we do more depending on demand. So, and there's always a there's always a mix of things on. And do you get a wide range of people who come along to these courses? Yeah, um, yeah, it's always really interesting to see who turns up. Uh, there's definitely a contingent of people that crave having a closer connection to the land and um, being practical and involved in things. So this is a kind of their initial exposure into some of these things, or they're thinking about purchasing a piece of land or getting involved in something so they kind of want to start developing a skills base um some of the people that come on the course are maybe already quite far in their learning type thing and they're coming to really focus on something specific like they're really good at um you know they're already managing a piece of land and they're considering charcoal making as an additional thing on that so um for example the course tomorrow for the introduction to green woodworking i'll probably have people there that are um, have never held an axe before and uh, want to get into it for the first time, whereas people who have made things before but maybe just want to learn some more um, particular details or complexity around things. So it will, yeah, it will be an interesting mix. It's always an interesting mix of people and 
um, yeah. And are you always looking for volunteers to help you with the work that you're doing? Yep, generally for volunteer days, we will take on as many people as we can feel like we can manage for that session. So to make sure that it feels like a rewarding experience for both parties. Mm -hmm. So anyone that is interested should always get in touch with us, even if we don't have anything available immediately. We add everyone to a kind of mailing list and a contact list and, and make sure that we keep them abreast of what we have going on in future. So if you're interested in hanging out in the woods and playing with tools and sticks, then we're your, we're your friends. Well, it sounds fantastic. I know for a fact I've got a friend called Honor who does lots of sort of um, forest school courses and things like that. I know she'd be really into it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the woodlands that you're currently looking after? So you have, well, just from looking at your website, Castle Hills near Micklefield, Petrel Woods near Tharna and Town Close Woods near Kipax. Are they all very different woodlands? Yeah, like every woodland has its own story and history and everything else like that. The nature of the work that we're doing at places can vary quite a bit as well. So some of the work we've done in South Leeds at Post Hill, that has been um, riverbank restoration work, which is essentially um, installing products called uh, fascines, which is what um, the previous name for them used to be faggots, which is basically a rolled up um, bundle of brashy material um, that are installed into the ground and they work as silt traps. So the issue that we have in terms of silt, like, uh, soil erosion running into rivers and the problems that causes them with the watercourse, the solution to this is to stop the initial erosion. So we're using stuff that is essentially a byproduct of the other stuff we make to turn into products that we can then, that are um, sustainably, locally and, and sustainably produced, that then um, go in and do a really effective job. So whilst those um, machines are there, soil erodes and gets caught in them, then hopefully it stabilizes and things start to grow in it. So by the time the fascine has started to rot away, the ground has sort of stabilized and it's no longer required. So that, for example, would be um, there. It's been more specifically thinking about um, that work and what we can do with that. Whereas, say, for um, some of the woodlands we have in Eastleys, they're more, they are potentially areas that have maybe been managed a bit more recently or at least have had a proactive management plan. So they're areas where we are establishing coppice and we're working on... Um, uh yeah setting up rotations and and cutting products and producing firewood and things like that so it's a little mix across the board but generally the sites we work um you don't if you if you cut and establish a coop which is what a area of coppice is called um you want to be back there you're essentially doing all the work now for the payoff in you know a couple of eight years later for when it's regrown so a lot of the sites are in we're there and we're working on them and then we'll be back over you know it's kind of a 15-year commitment to being there in terms of continuing the work and to see the payoff on it um so a bit season to season it changes a little bit depending on which section of which particular woodland we're working in but that's kind of the the beauty of the work is understanding the um complexity and history of the area that you're working in and working alongside that rather than it say being a plantation where everything is very homogenous and that you have a very broad stroke approach to maybe how you manage that we generally sort of narrow down on each site we're working on because one year we might be cutting somewhere that has been very productive, whereas the following year we might be cutting an area that hasn't been worked for a long time, so it's it's in a state of disrepair. So it varies quite a lot between site to site, but generally we're working, um, thinking about what we need in terms of um, the work we do and the coppice and the products we want to produce, but also what's best for the woodland and what, what are the needs of the landowner and kind of men- blending that all together. Yeah. And it's become a hazard of the job that whenever you're traveling around anywhere, you're constantly assessing 
woodland that you come across? Uh, yeah, sometimes you can't switch it off a little bit. Um, when you know what to look for in areas, it's really interesting to try and um, piece together that kind of history of a place, like why, what species are growing there, what size they are, what what may have happened. You know, it could be something that happened to a woodland 80 years ago, maybe yeah. around the Second World War, that now you're trying to, you're sort of piecing together what happened and, what, and why that happened and what the consequences have been. So, yeah, that is a very beautiful way for me to think about the space that you engage with. It's not just trees it's a, a forest is a really dynamic thing so yeah when you know to read the kind of pattern language that's there i think there's a lot of um complexity and depth that goes even beyond just the the innate complexity and beauty of of something like a woodland and do you think that's the kind of thing that you learn through being involved with the leeds coppice workers is that something i mean obviously i'm sure you can study this kind of thing but do, do you kind of absorb that knowledge as you're going along because you you realize how everything all connects uh, like over history and you know time and that kind of thing yeah i think going into a practice that has tradition and learning about that tradition and everything else gives you a sense of the context of what you're doing now the contemporary work you're doing and how that compares to what people were doing 50 years ago 100 years ago whenever that might be mm-hmm. um you definitely learn the practical things on the job like in terms of the physical work that's required and the techniques and things like that in terms of theory type things that comes from uh, being around like-minded people that are all involved in this kind of work. Um, there are some really, really good resources out there to learn and really good organizations that produce great resources on this. So I'm a bit of a, I have a tendency to geek out. So I've spent, <laughs> I've read some, I've read some chunky books about trees. It must be said. <laughs> I can imagine that, Josh. Um, and so Josh, can you tell me, have you always lived in Leeds? Uh, for the most part, yeah, I was, um, moved to uh horsforth when i was mm, before i can remember like very young and then pretty most lived lived most of my younger life in otley left for a couple of years to study and do that things and then came back to leeds maybe about seven years ago so i'm pretty pretty leeds based so yeah that means you're absolutely qualified to answer the three questions that i ask uh, every guest the first one being what would you say is great about the city of leeds Mm. Uh, the amount of amenity green space is super lovely so uh, areas like yeah Middleton Woods, Meanwood Park Rondé Park, just uh, the Meanwood Valley Trail the uh, yeah it's a, we have a very green a very beautiful city and we're also situated very close to some really really stunning outdoor um, things to do um, I couldn't I, I'm not the person to say that you know oh the, the shopping in the city centre is just the best I have no idea <laughs> Um, I've spent my time uh, trying to find beautiful outdoor places to be and Leeds has many of those to offer so that's very nice it doesn't have the it's sprawling but it doesn't have the kind of dense urban sprawl that maybe you feel with Manchester and London and places like that there's a sense of um, a bit of spaciousness a slightly like down pace thing it doesn't feel like anyone's living in Leeds to make a point of you know you're not like off to Bristol off to London off to somewhere where all the action is if you're in Leeds you're here because it's um it's a pleasant pace of life. It's a really sound community of people like Leeds folk are pretty great. And yeah, there's a lot of people who come to Leeds, um, at least in my experience, who have ended up staying, you know, studied here and decided to stay because, because it just feels nice. It's a good place. It has a, um, uh, the balance between the benefits of being in a city and also the benefits of, yeah, the amenity of, um, natural spaces and things like that. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. Great answer. And if you had to choose something that you think is not so great about the city, what would you choose? The uh, Leeds is the biggest city in Western Europe that does not have a third transport system. So no tram or underground or anything like this. The traffic system in Leeds is a nightmare. The, the way that, yeah, public transport is worked and managed. Um, I know that they've done feasibility things for the tram, but it is, it is like shocking how little um, alternative there is to using a vehicle. Like I cycle around quite a lot, but for the vast majority of... Um, for many, many things, it's entirely impractical not to use a car, even if you would not like to. Um, and things like traffic, we actually start work with the coppices early and finish a bit early so that we can try and avoid the worst of the traffic because it is, it's just horrible. And yeah, yeah we, this is something as a, we have big, uh, changes that we need to make in terms of how we live, um, in regards to the climate crisis and Leeds is so far off being ready to deal with its dependency on cars that it just has to be addressed. It's really the, the one thing that is being stuck in traffic in Headingley or at the army gyratory is pretty soul destroying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say probably 99% of every guest I've had on, that is the answer that they give always, traffic. Uh, but then this is, this, like, we all know it's a problem. It's been a big problem for a long time and nothing of any significance has been achieved. So yeah. um, it should be the kind of thing that someone can pick up this and try and do something radical, like it needs a radical solution. And it's sad that it just seems like um, people that drive cars are in charge of this and, and they're not, seeking to make any dramatic changes and that is sad it is it is it's a real shame and if somebody had lived in leeds for a very long time would you be able to tell them of something that you would consider to be a hidden gem that they might never have heard of hmm uh i would so i've spent a lot of um outside of uh living out the in sort of ls6 area of leeds i would highly recommend a visit to um Bedford Fields Community Garden, which is um, just off, just north of the Cinder Moor, um, which is a, a beautiful little community garden. But it, yeah, it's just a, like a wonderful little natural space around a lot of urban busyness that's um, really lovely. The Meanwood Valley Urban Farm would be another shout. There's some really exciting projects happening down there, um, a CSA project, food growing and things like that is very beautiful. Otherwise, I'd say for people that haven't uh, explored it, the Meanwood Valley Trail as you leave leads and you end up going through scotland wood up towards adol um yeah there's some really really beautiful um regeneration around there it's lots of areas where there was old mill industries that are, are long gone and it's all regrown as woodlands um and it has that sort of um that beauty of decayed ruins and things like that you know like big bits of stone with a tree growing off the top of it it's all really really wonderful and um yeah walking around that area of leeds um some of my yeah some of the things i enjoy the most I'd also, as a secondary, if you haven't got up and uh, in spring for the Dawn Chorus, there are many places in Leeds, find a bit of um, a good patch of woodland. It's uh, phenomenal, the the amount of bird noise and bird life that's there. It really does uh, make you aware of how much of that we actually have around here if you look for it and how wonderful it is to have that. So I would, um, yeah, get up at four in the morning is my unfortunate recommendation <laughs> i have done that i didn't do it this year i can't remember why but i did do it last year during um i think it must have been in, in big lockdown so for all sorts of things to do mm. um yeah and i mean i live in i live in Beeston, which is very built up um you know amongst back-to-backs but even just sat on my doorstep because i live really close to cross that sparks i'm quite lucky very mm. lucky um and yeah it was it was it was hard getting up at four o'clock and whatever it was absolutely worth it 
Mm. So, yes, great choices there. Thank you so much. And what will you be doing with the rest of your day today, Josh? Uh, the rest of my day today, unfortunately, I have a bit of um, computer work to do in my life as well. Um, <laughs> I have just started playing the harp, so I will be practicing wow. that. Uh, How and are you I'm... That? Sorry, say that again? How are you finding that? Uh, pretty good. Um, it fits my kind of general Hobbit lifestyle and motif, so that's quite nice. <laughs> uh, and then um, I will be playing a game of Ultimate Frisbee with some friends in the park later and being very silly. Well, that sounds like a really great day and very productive and a lot of fun involved as well, and the half. So fantastic. Thank you so very much for coming along, uh, Josh. I will put lots of notes in the podcast um, notes area so that people can click through and look at the work that you're doing and you know hopefully join up for a course or come along um, and over to one of your volunteering days but yeah thank you so much for coming and telling me about all of that no it was a pleasure thank you i had a great time chatting to joshua about leeds coppice workers check out the links in the podcast notes and you can get involved in their courses and all the different various things that they do the song I've chosen to feature on this episode is She Hallian. It's by Iona Lane. Iona's debut album, Hallival, is inspired by natural landscapes, scientific discoveries, equality, human relationships and the supernatural, all tied together by a strong sense of place and a love for being in wild places. It's a beautiful album and I really hope you enjoy this track, She Hallian. See you soon, Leeds. the sun, the moon and all our neighbours Just an only lonely mountain and tricks of scientific labour Caught by surprise Mythical animals run untied How do you measure the weight of the earth, the fairy hill of Caledonia Taking measurements and music made from mathematics. Deep in the pines, mythical animals meet curious minds with the stars in their place. Beneath Shahalian knows its way. And bones and water Desire for knowledge sets them aside Despite a tendency to falter Inside the hill Mythical animals inspire human will And contour lies By Shahalian in my Now that we've 
Local fiddlers tune in.